You're listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 4. Paul says, I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in the body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are also circumcised in him with a circumcision, not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead." And when you were dead in trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was taken against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it on the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Therefore... Do not let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to visionary realms. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head for whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with the growth from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Chris. Good morning, Story City. Uh, My name is Jonathan. I have the privilege of being one of your elders here. If I haven't met you yet, uh, if you're a guest with us, thank you for being here today. I'm super honored and privileged to call Story City my home and to be with you guys. And so, uh, as you know, we've been going through a series in Colossians, and it's the uh, Rooted in Depth and Restoration in Christ. And so we've been going through this book of Colossians. We've been working verse by verse through that. And last week, uh, one of our elders, Josh Hideki, he spoke and the main idea of that sermon last week from uh, uh, Colossians chapter 1 and 2, parts of it, was that the mystery that is revealed leads to maturity that is real, right? And we talked about how God reveals himself to us. We, we didn't even know what we didn't know, right? And God makes that known to us. And what that is, is Christ. And if we are uh, understanding that mystery then it's going to lead to maturity in how we live our Christian life. And one of the things that he talked about was this undercurrent in the book of Colossians, really that we're going to focus on today. And the reason why Paul was bringing up uh, that idea of revealing the mystery because there was a false teaching in the church of Colossae. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The book doesn't tell us exactly what the false teaching was, 
right? There was a man by the name of Epaphras, and he was the church planter. He's the one who went to Colossae, preached the gospel. People understood that and wanted to become followers of Jesus. And then he gathered them into a community, a church, a body, and they started to do life together. These, a lot of them were Gentile Christians, which means that they were not of Jewish background. And uh, Epaphras then goes to Paul while in prison, and he says, hey, this is what's going on in the Colossian church. This is this, there's a, there's a false teaching that's going on in the Colossian church. And uh, Paul then says, man, I want to address that. And so he writes this letter to address that false teaching. And so we see, like Josh said last week, that there's this undercurrent. And today in our verses, it's going to come to a head. He's going to say, hey, this is what the false teaching is, and this is what I want you to do. Okay, so we're going to dive into that. First, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it has uh, everything that we need. God, we don't need uh, special revelation from a, a, a man, we don't need an interpreter. God, we, we have you, we have your Holy Spirit, and you promise to guide us into all truth. God, I thank you for that. I pray that today you would speak through me, that I would be a vehicle uh, for your word to be proclaimed. We love you, we thank you in Christ, and we pray, amen. Some of you guys already know this, um, <laughs> but I'm originally from Hawaii. And so uh, I don't know if you've been to Hawaii or you've maybe vacationed there or you live there for a short amount of time or you grew up there. Um, Hawaii is very different from California in the sense of the main, the main land USA, right? The cultures are very different. And the same way that, you know, if you live in the north, it's different from the south. Or if you live in the west, it's different from the east coast. But what makes Hawaii even more different is that it used to be its own nation, right? And so there's all these things, there's all these, think about your culture, and then think about a, an entire different country's culture. And then on top of that, and you know, as Hawaii became a state and um, its agriculture grew, they became uh, uh, one of the uh, leading juggernaut agricultural places for pineapple and coffee. All of these immigrants flooded to Hawaii. Right, the Japanese, the Chinese, the Filipino, the Portuguese, all these different ethnicities. And so now Hawaii is what we call this, this we call it a mixed plate, but a, a melting pot of cultures. Some of you guys know that I have a, a food business, a Hawaii-style food business. And um, that's what Hawaii cooking is, right? It's, you, you have the sesame oil that the Koreans brought to the plantation. And you have the black bean curd that the Chinese brought, right, to the, the plantation. And then you have the Filipino culture and all these different things. And they made almost these new dishes that came from these more ancient backgrounds. And it's, it's, it's really a really interesting thing. Now, when I came to California, I was like 18 years old for college, and I was freaked out, man. Y'all got traffic, y'all drive fast, y'all like don't talk to people, everything's like boom, like just going, right? People are busy, they gotta get somewhere. And I've acclimated, but when I first got here, I was in like complete culture shock, right? I was just like, dude, like this is way too fast for me, right? I remember, <clears throat> We also have like our own like dialect of English. It's actually like a recognized language. It's called Pigeon English. 
And so when I got here, my, my English was like really broken. And I remember I had a guy in my college, a guy that was from Hawaii as well. He, he brought me into his office. He's like, he's like, bro, you can't talk like that. Like, you, look, you sound like to the people in the mainland, you sound very uneducated. And I actually had to like change the way that I, I talked, right? It was like, a, it was a big transformation to adjust to the culture. It is just different. Um, when I first got here, they asked me all kinds of crazy questions, right? Like, it's so funny, the questions that you get from being from Hawaii or even maybe from another country, if anyone in here is from another country, they would ask me questions like, do you guys have cell phone service there? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> um, oh, the one I always get, right? Like, oh, do you surf? And then I, I always, I respond the same way. I was like, do I look like I surf? Right, like <laughs> that's one. Um, the weirdest one that I got was, "Do you do you catch your own chickens?" I was like, "What? What? What makes you think that I catch my own chickens?" Like, I go to the grocery store. I get, I would get all kinds of weird questions. Do we live in tiki huts? I was like, "No, we don't live in tiki huts." Um, but you see, my culture has shaped me as a person. I'm wearing shoes on stage now, but if you see me 90% of the time out in like just regular life, right? I don't wear shoes. I always wear slippers. I have three pairs of shoes. I have my Scots, which is my slippers, right? My thong slippers, these shoes, and hiking boots. That's it. And the majority, probably about 90% of the time, I'm in Scots or I'm barefoot. Why? Because that's what I'm, that's what I'm used to. That's what I grew up doing. And like, I don't even recognize that I'm doing that. Why? Because my culture has shaped me. I coach a basketball team at Pettit, um, and we were practicing the other night, and I, I play barefoot. It's just what I do. I play on the hardwood barefoot. I just don't even think about it. I, pick up, I play pickleball. I play barefoot. One of the girls came up to me. She's like, you're not wearing shoes. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not wearing shoes, right? Like, I, I just, she's like, does that hurt? I'm like, no, I don't really think about it, right? Because my culture has shaped me. Right, the way it has influenced the way that I see the world, it's, it's, my, it's my worldview. It's how I filter information and how I was raised and the culture that I was brought up with affects how I see everything. And it's the same way with us in our Christian walk. The way that we grew up and the way that we understand the world and our worldview, our biases, our preferences, they affect how we do and follow Jesus. How we interpret scripture. How we come towards Christianity. You see, culture is a powerful thing. And we've all been shaped by our culture. But I want you to understand something. There are people out there that say culture is bad. Culture is not a bad thing, right? Culture only becomes a bad thing when our culture comes into conflict with the gospel. Uh, one of the things that was a major uh, crashing point when the missionaries came to Hawaii was that they did away with hula. They said, hula is pagan, it's demonic, and they took it away. They said, oh, we don't understand your language, so they killed the Hawaiian language, right? Now, see, the flaw in that was instead of saying, hey, culture's not bad, it's when our culture conflicts with the gospel. And though at that time it did, 
The safer thing instead of just getting rid of it would be like, how do we redeem this? How do we use this to glorify Jesus Christ? Right? And so those things, the, the, the dance that they would dance to gods and they would worship gods with and they, the missionaries came and they said, oh, you're not going to do that. And, and now there's a lot of bitterness and hurt as a lot of the culture of Hawaii has been destroyed, right? Lost forever. But culture is not a bad thing. It's when culture conflicts with the gospel, Right? Uh, Genesis 1, 27 through 28 says this. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. In other versions, he uses the word, have dominion over it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. You see, God's intent or God's design from the beginning was not to say, do not have culture. He designed us to be culture makers. He designed us to subdue, to have dominion, to be fruitful, to, be, uh, to multiply. He's called us to build cities, tell stories, invent, have families, love, make art. Compose, be creative, seek the welfare of others. But see, because of our disobedience to God, we have chosen to do things our way. And when God has called us to be culture makers, now we exploit, we use, we create weapons of mass destruction, right? We use our, our, our intellect and our minds to take advantage of people. We, we, we put other people in slavery, all in the name of building culture. And again, culture is not the bad thing. You see, the story of the Bible is how Jesus is the fulfillment of a promise that in his death, burial, and resurrection, God has established a new culture, a new way of living, and God has called all of his followers to say, hey, I want to be a culture maker. I want to be a part of culture, but I'm not going to be a part of culture that conflicts with the gospel. But instead, I want to follow this new way, this new life, this new community, this new culture. Now, here at Story City, you're going to hear a word. I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to take a pause from that. I'm, I'm going to teach you something here real quick. You might never heard this before, but we believe in expository preaching. That's very important. I'll give you a couple examples. There's different styles of preaching. You have expository preaching, which means that you exposit or you try to understand a text in its context, right? And what the author was trying to say to his audience, and that is what we preach from. You have something called topical preaching, where, for example, you might preach on a topic. So I might preach on laziness, right? And I'm going to go find all the scriptures and all the all the scriptures in the Bible that maybe talk about or refer to laziness. That's called topical preaching. Then you you have what we would call, uh, like so, for example, like a um, like a like a sermon topic where you would maybe have an idea and then you would use a passage to uh, to 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 kind of push that idea, 
right? Not in a wrong way, but just that's, that's, that, that, that passage would then push that. Instead, expository preaching, now I'm just going to kind of read this definition for you. Expository preaching is this, is that the meaning and intent of a biblical text, so what that text actually means is what provides the commentary and examples to make the passage clear and understandable. The word exposit is related to the word expose. And so the expository preacher's goal is to simply expose the meaning of that passage. Does that make sense? And so to prepare an expository sermon, the preacher starts with a passage of scripture and then studies it, studies the context, the grammar, the historical setting of that passage in order to understand the author's intent. That's very, very, that's the most important part, that we want to understand what the author was trying to say to his audience, right? So Paul wrote a letter. Paul has an audience, right? There was a problem going on, and Paul was addressing it. And so for us to really understand, we need to understand what Paul was trying to address, what Paul, what he was saying to his audience, so that's why we have to go through historical context. Now, it's going to seem like, man, there's a, there's a lot there. And I, you're, Jonathan, you're taking a really long time to, to tell me what we're, we're learning. But we have to understand the context, what the author is trying to say, in order for us to understand what God is trying to say and apply it to what we, where we are today. Does that make sense? Everybody with me on that? Okay. So let's look at that. We're going to explore the historical context. So the book, I already said this, the book of Colossians was a letter written by Paul, who was a prisoner for teaching that Jesus was the risen Lord. He was in jail, right? And the letter was addressed to a group of people who had recently begun to apprentice Jesus. And they come together to form a new community of Jesus followers, or what today we call a church, okay? So again, the church of Colossae was planted by Epaphras. And while visiting Paul in prison, Epaphras gives him this news. Hey, this is what's going on. Uh, this is how uh, the, the church is operating. This is what's going on. You see, the Colossians were faithful to Jesus. But then he also notes that they're facing some cultural pressures. Okay, there's some things going on in the church that is having them turn away from apprenticing or following Jesus. Now, the, the Gentile Christians, they were confused. There were some things going on in this church. They were confused by a combination of two things. Uh, uh, a mystical polytheism and Jewish religious teachers, we call them the Judaizers, who were telling the, those Christians that they had to follow the law of Moses or the Jewish tradition in order to be a Christian. Those were the two teachings. You see... Uh, uh, we, we can see this when Paul uses the word circumcision, right? We see it when he starts talking about visions of angels. There's all these different teachings that are flooding this Colossate church. Now, since these new Christians had grown up, right, in, in Colossae, in a Gentile pagan religion, um, it was easy for them. They were already worshiping Greek and Roman gods. And uh, any of you guys see the new Percy Jackson uh, TV show on Disney Plus, right? That's that, that whole Greek mythology, right? You have like Athens, Athena, right? She's the god of wis goddess of wisdom, and you have, and so that's how they actually 
lived their life. They had all these different like demigods and gods that ruled over different arenas of their life. And so when they wanted to, when they needed good harvest, right, they prayed to this God. When they needed money, they, they, they prayed to this God. When they wanted wisdom, they prayed to this God. And for that culture, being in that culture, for some of these Christians, they were just adding Jesus to that plethora of gods that they already worshiped, right? And so there's a lot of confusion going on. And so what Paul is trying to get them to understand is, hey, you don't have to follow this Jewish tradition. And hey, you don't worship all these different gods. And it wasn't necessarily that they were worshiping them for salvation. right? And I'm going to show you that in a second. But they were worshiping them so that they could have stability in their chaotic universe. Because that's what those gods were for. They were there to bring stability, right? Something for the people to depend on. And so now they're, in the, they're going through the trials of life. They're going through the ups and downs. They're doing all these things and they still need that. And what Paul is trying to teach them is, hey, you don't need traditions. You don't need other gods. Jesus is su- sufficient to fill every single one of your spiritual needs. And so our big idea for us today is this. When culture collides with the gospel, Jesus wins. When culture collides with the gospel, Jesus wins. Now, usually when I preach, I want to be positive in the sense of I want to use positive phrasing. I want to make sure that um, it's not coming across as negative, but Paul here is using a language, he's, he's using the language of warning. He's saying, hey, I'm saying this so that you aren't deceived. That's why last week we talked about it, God reveals the mystery of the gospel of Jesus. Why? Because he doesn't want the church to fall prey to false teachers. He has to make it clear so we know exactly where the line is drawn. That's why he reveals the mystery. That's why it leads to maturity. It has to be crystal clear. And so Paul is using this language warning. Look at uh, verse number four. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. So everything he said above that, He's saying, all these things that I just said, what Josh preached about last week, about uh, the hope of Christ, union with Christ, the mystery being revealed, the mystery leading to maturity, all these things, everything I just said, I'm saying it so you will not be deceived. He's giving them a warning. And so he's trying to help them. And so I don't want you to misunderstand my points today. I'm not trying to be negative and beat you over with the Bible. What I'm trying to do is inspire you to heed the warning of Paul. And so we're going to look at those two warnings today. The first one is when culture collides with the, when culture collides with the gospel, we cannot, we can't let the collision uproot us. We can't let the collision uproot us. That's what Paul says. Look at verse four again. I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are in the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, 
Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. He's saying, hey, I'm saying all this stuff. I said all these things because I don't want you to be deceived and I don't want you to be uprooted. There's some things that were taught to you. There's a faith that was passed down to you. There were teachings that were explicitly taught to you as this being the way of Jesus. I don't want that collision of culture and what you've been taught to uproot you from believing what you were taught at the beginning. Does that make sense? And then he goes a step further. He says, I don't want, you, I don't, I don't want it to uproot you, right? To believe what you believed at the beginning, but then I want you to continue. So that truth that you were, that truth that you were taught at the beginning, it's gonna help you walk. It's gonna help the everyday stuff. It's gonna help all your spiritual needs. It's not just for salvation, but it's for your sanctification. It's for you as you pursue and try to recover the design that God has for humanity and for your life. So he says that truth is the same truth from beginning of your life to your end of your life. That truth is gonna be consistent all the way down. And that's the truth that you need to be rooted in. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus today, when you trusted Christ and you said, God, ah, Jesus, I want to follow you, and you believe that truth, you were placed. God placed you into that, and that's what you were rooted in. And so a lot of people think, oh, man, like, you know, this is technically maybe like a heresy or that these people weren't Christians. But if you really, if you study this passage, these were believers who were in the church that Paul says, hey, this is a philosophy. So some Christians are teaching this and convincing people to live a certain way opposite of what had been taught at the beginning. And so what they're saying is, hey, Jesus is, Jesus is sufficient for you to, be a, to become a Christian, but Jesus isn't sufficient in your everyday life. He's not sufficient for you as you struggle in the ups and downs and you don't have to depend on him. Here, we'll give you another teaching or set of systems to help you flourish, to help you thrive, right? To help you uh, consistently follow and be an apprentice of Jesus. But Paul's saying, no, 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 You can't let that collision uproot you, right? We must bring the gospel to our culture, not the culture to our gospel. It's, it's different. God has called us to be reconcilers, right? We're to go to the, the world and to, to the preach the word of reconciliation. And it, it's not for uh, the culture to determine what we believe. God, God already gave that to us. And so we see here, it's clear. Uh, Paul has a, a, a desire his desire, even though he's not there with him, right? Remember, Paul's in prison. He says, I may be absent, right? But I want to see you rejoicing, ordered, and that you have strength of your faith in Christ. That's his desire for them. He, he has this desire. Uh, he says he wants them to be rooted and built up in Christ Jesus as Lord and established as the faith. Established in the faith, excuse me. That's his desire for, for them. Now, 
I kind of want to break this down a little bit because I want you guys to understand what Paul taught at the beginning. Right? You might, that begs the question. So what did, what did, what did Paul teach them? Or what, what did Patrick teach them? What is that foundational truth that they're supposed to, that the whole faith is dependent on? Right? What is that teaching that he gave them? It's the gospel. It's Jesus. Right? That's what he taught them. We talked about last week about being a gospel-centered uh, church, to have gospel-centered preaching. This is what it comes down to, right? And so um, I'm, I'm going to use a model real quick, but, you know, there's a lot of different ways to explain this. I'm going to have some pictures up on the screen, but I want to kind of just break down what the gospel is for us, okay? And so originally God has a design. God created the world. It was beautiful, Right, you guys all know the story, Adam and Eve, the seven days of creation, right? Learned it in Sunday school, maybe maybe you've never heard it before. But the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth. And he says that when he looked at his creation, it was good. You see, when you, if you're, maybe you're a creative in here, you're a painter or you're a sculptor or you're, I don't know, fill in the blank, right? When you're making art, you have design. You have a, a place in mind that you're trying to go. It may change, right? You start it and you're like, oh, I want to change this or I want to change that, right? But ultimately, there is an intention that you have for your art. And in the same way, God has a design. He had an intention for his creation, right? And he wanted it to be good. But see, that's not the way that it stayed, Right? You guys understand that it, we have what we would call sin in this world. Life doesn't work when we ignore God and his original design for us. And that's what we did. We as humans selfishly insist on doing things our own way. My son does it all the time. I'm like, dude, that's going to hurt. You're going to get in trouble. Don't do that. But selfishly, we insist on doing things our own way. And what the Bible calls is the Bible calls that sin. Now, some people think that's a word that's taboo or that's not good, but really all that means is that God has a standard and we miss that mark. We miss that standard. We do things that don't add up to what he calls for. And we all sin and we distort God's original design. We all live contrary to how God designed us to be. And scripture is very clear that the consequences of that sin, of going against God's design, is separation from God in this life and for all of eternity. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, right? That both physical and spiritual death occurs when we don't do it God's way. Sin leads to a place of brokenness. It's what happens. Our world is broken, right? We see this all around us. We, when we realize life is not working, we begin to look for a way out, right? We, we try to go to other things and we try to fulfill ourselves in different ways and we go in all these different directions trying to figure it out on our own. Brokenness leads to a place of realizing a need for something greater. It has to be more than this. This can't be all that there is. You see, the Bible says that we change the truth of God for a lie and we tend to worship and serve created things instead of the creator himself. We try to suffice and it doesn't work. And at this point, we need some good news and that's where this idea of the gospel comes in because of his love. God does not leave us in our brokenness. 
You see, Jesus is God in the flesh, and he came and lived a perfect life and he, according to God's design. And Jesus came to rescue us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took our sin, and he took our shame, and he paid the penalty on the cross for our sin by his death. And on the third day, Jesus was then raised from the dead to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to a relationship with God. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that he, Jesus, and we're going to read this verse later, erased the certificate of our debt. That is the gospel. But see, just simply hearing it is not enough. Right? We have to, uh, we must admit our sinful brokenness and stop trusting in ourselves. We have to change our mind about us earning our salvation or earning our rescue or figuring it out. Instead, we have to acknowledge what Jesus did. And we must ask God to forgive us and turn from our sin to trust in the work of Jesus. This is what it means to repent and believe. Believing we receive New life in God through Jesus, just as he promised. The Bible says, repent and believe the good news, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not from works, so no one can boast. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God restores your relationship to him, and then we are able to begin to discover new meaning and purpose in a broken world, and we can pursue God's design for our life the way he intended it. His spirit empowers us. And one day God is going to make all things new. He's going he's gonna to make all things right. He's going to uh, 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 create a new heaven and a new earth, and we get to be with him for all of eternity because we have a relationship with him. That's God's design from the beginning. He wanted to be with you. He wanted to have a love relationship with you. He wanted to uh, care and receive glory from you. That's his design. And that's what Paul is teaching this church. Repent and believe the gospel. Stop thinking you can do it on your own and just trust Jesus, man. And now what's happening is that's being threatened. Right? That's being threatened. There's people saying, hey, yeah, that's good for like, you know, going to heaven and stuff. But like actually living your life, now nah, that doesn't really work because it's, you know, it's, it's so abstract and, you know, it doesn't really. Why don't you do, follow these traditions. Follow these, worship these uh, uh, spiritual elements. And Paul's like, no, man, don't let that collision uproot you. Look at verse number eight. He says this. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. So he says it, right? Be careful that no one takes you captive through these philosophies. They're based on human tradition. They're based on elements of the world rather than Christ. See, they thought that they had this idea where, oh man, we can get the fullness of God, right? We can know what God wants and we can, we can, we can overcome, we can get the fullness of God and the fullness of God is gonna be in these, worshiping this, 
or doing this rather than Christ. And then Paul contradicts them. He's confronting the teaching. He says in verse 9, For the entire fullness of, the nat- of God's nature dwells bodily in who? In Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. See, he's giving you clues into what he's talking about. He's saying, you know, those rulers and authorities that you're looking at for guidance of your life or in these different arenas or these different traditions, he says, Christ is the fullness, not that. He's the head over those things, right? Christ is sufficient for every believer's spiritual need. Look at verse 11. For you were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly, he triumphed over them in him, in Christ. So what is he saying? He's saying, now I'm going to give you the evidence of why Jesus is the head. Why Jesus is greater than those things that you're depending on, that you're trying to fall back onto. This is why. And he goes, hey, don't you remember when you were circumcised? He's using this idea. He's comparing circumcision to baptism. This idea of being made new. Right? He's like, hey, you were made new in Jesus. Right? And he's talking, talking about what was talked about in the, the upper passages. Right? That you were given this truth of the gospel. You believed it. You believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you want to follow him and that his work is enough. Remember that? You were baptized. You were made into a new person. All these things happened. You were raised to life in communion with Christ. You were, uh, all those trespasses that you had, right? They were erased. That certificate of debt was erased. And then he uses this phrase. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. What is Paul saying? He's trying to convince the church that, hey, Jesus is better than whatever you're trying to depend on. He, he, he disgraced them. His, when he died and he did it publicly, right, he made them a laughing stock. He's showing his authority over them. He disarmed them. That means, think, if you think about a bad guy that's been disarmed, they can't do anything, right? They, they, they've lost their weapon. He's saying, you, you're, you're, you're cowering to a disarmed foe. You're allowing them back into your life when they have really no power over you. He's saying, there's, there's no, they, they can't do anything for you. I love what Paul is saying here. I love the imagery and the words. He triumphed over them. Church, I want to encourage you today. The gospel, Jesus, he he is our stability. We can go through life's trials and the instability of our universe depending and remembering and meditating on the finished work of Christ. That ultimately, Jesus has the victory. Jesus wins. That he procured that through his death, burial, and resurrection. You can have victory in your life over sin. Why? Because Jesus died for it. 
You can have victory over uh, the, things that are, the things that come to you. Why? Because Jesus, that he, he procured it. That's what Paul is trying to tell the Colossian church. Christ can be our stability. So we see in this first warning, we can't let the collision uproot us. We can't let it to change our mind. We can't walk away from the faith that God has given us. And lastly, I'm done with this. We can't, the second warning is we can't let it define us. I'm, it's sad to say, even today, there are going to be people in the church who are going to come with teachings that's going to say it's Jesus and something else. Or it's you have to do this, or you have to be this, or you have to believe this, or you have to see this vision, or you have to do this. And that's going to get you the fullness. You're going to be connected to Jesus or God. You're going to be connected to God more. And they're going to try to get you to follow a teaching that's Jesus plus something. That's just the truth. That's our reality. It was a reality in the Colossian church. It's a reality today. And if you say no, the same thing is going to happen to you that happened to the Colossians. They are going to judge you. Right? Look at verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. They're going to judge you. They're going to say, hey, you're not doing it right. Now, it's different, right? I, I, I'm not saying this. God gave us the body. God gave us a, 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 a positions of what we would call elders or leaders in the church. God gave us brothers and sisters in Christ to keep us accountable, right? In your missional community, if you're, if you're doing something that is contrary to scripture, I would hope that the people in your missional community, your missional group would say, they would take you aside, maybe a brother with a, a guy with a guy, a girl with a girl, be like, hey bro, you're doing this, this is contrary to scripture, right? This is what the Bible says, this is what's going on in your life, right? That's not a bad thing. We shouldn't get offended by that. That's actually a very loving thing. Now, how they do it is super important, right? If you're in a missional community and you see your brother and sister doing something and you're like, hey, that's contrary to scripture, the Bible says we approach them with love, right? Truth and grace, right? It's this idea of speaking the truth in love, right? We don't falter on what the Bible says, but we do it in a way to see them restored, right? We don't always, oh, you're a bad person. Get out of here, right? It's no, we want to see them restored to the faith. We want to see them continue to follow Jesus, right? So that, that, that's, that's, that's permissible. That's what we, we want to keep each other accountable. What Paul is talking about here is there's people, there's false teachers that are going to come in that are going to judge them, and it's not according to what the Scripture says. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying don't let them, don't let them judge you about eating and drinking, about Sabbath, about festivals. See, this has had to do with their tradition, their preferences. The thing where Scripture was silent on, Right? Where didn't, God didn't say, hey, you have to be a circumcised Jew in order to be in the kingdom. God didn't say that. He actually says contrary to that, right? He says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, right? And these people were coming and saying, oh, no, 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 Paul, hold on a second. You have to keep this new moon. You have to keep this Sabbath. You have to keep this festival. And if you do that, that's great. I'm not saying that, that we don't have to do those things, right? But on the preferences and in the places where it was tradition, Paul says, do not let them judge you. They're going to judge you. Guess what? It's coming. People are going to judge you. But the warning that Paul is saying here is, hey, you can't let that define you. You can't let that judgment define you. Right? There was a, a group of Christians in this church. What they were doing was they were saying, oh man, 
I've been having these visions. And these angels have been coming to me. Man, and they've been telling me these things about God. We've been worshiping God together. And man, that is the fullness. If you haven't done that, if you haven't worshiped angels, uh, you don't have it right. Even go, to, go as far as to hurt themselves. The Bible says that they were practicing ascetic practices, which means they could have been like fasting for like 40 days and becoming delusional, right? Some ascetic practices, maybe they were whipping themselves. Who knows? We don't know exactly what the ascetic practices were, but they were hurting themselves in order to get to a state where they were having these visions, right? And they're saying, oh man, these visions. And they were leading with those visions. They're like, oh, if you're, they start to condemn people, the Bible says, because the other people were not delighting in those visions. Church, it's a reality. People will condemn you. They're, they're just, it, it happens. These false teachers, and it's not gonna, it's not gonna come from the outside. It's gonna come from the inside. This is what's happening in this church. Why? Because there's some cultural things that people aren't willing to let go. Where their culture uh, and, their, and their, the, conf, the, the, the gospel conflict or they collide, people are going to know, this is the way I've always done it. This is what I'm going to depend on. This is what I'm going to put my faith in as sufficiency for my everyday life. And they're going to try to teach others to follow that also. And Paul is saying here, do not let those people define you. You are not a bad Christian, right? Or you're not a, not a follower of Jesus if you are not doing it their way. What does he say to allow to define you? Verse 19. They don't... Uh, We'll, actually, we'll read the verse together from verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people, and I love how he says this, he calls them out on the carpet. Such people are inflated. He means puffed up. Their heads are big, Right? By empty notions of their unspiritual mind. They don't even understand what the, 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 the gospel is trying to teach. They, they're, they're, they don't understand it. They don't hold on to, and this is the verse I want to look at. They don't hold on to the head. They don't hold on to the head. Who's the head? From, who the, from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with the growth of God. Jesus is the head. That, that's what they're missing. They're saying, no, 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 this is something that's more sufficient. We cannot allow people to define us as we follow Jesus. If you are, if you are trusting, if you are seeking after God, and God is telling you, hey, this Holy Spirit is leading you, man, I want to believe the gospel in my life. I know this is what is sufficient for me. I'm going to follow this. This is going to be my anchor for salvation, but also for my everyday life. I can be a good wife or husband because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I could be a good father or mother. Why? Because Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I can be a good co-worker. I can be a good employee, a good employer. Why? Because the death, resurrection, and burial of Jesus, right? I can have victory over this sin and temptation? Why? Because Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And one day, he is going to accomplish in you what he set out to do. It's done. Now, I'm not saying that we don't pursue holiness. That's not what I'm saying. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is that God is going to do it in you. 
He can do more than you imagine, more than you can do. And that we don't have to depend on these other things to give us stability, but that the sufficiency is Christ. It's done. So don't let people come and condemn you, define you, put labels on you, and say, oh, you. No. That's what Paul's the warning he's giving. We can't allow this collision that's going to happen. It's reality. It's going to happen. We can't allow this collision to uproot us, and we can't allow this uh, collision to define us. But we need to stand firm in the truth, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And at the end, Jesus will win. He promised it. Jesus wins. He's enough. He is enough. And so today, if you're in here and you are a follower of Jesus, remember the gospel. When you're going through that hard time, in your missional group, when you have a brother that's struggling, remind him of the gospel. Remind him that Jesus did it, that he has the victory. Why? Because Jesus did it. It's done. Encourage him. Speak the gospel to him. Preach it to him. Hey, remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Remember what it did? Remember what it's doing? Remember what it's going to do? If you've never believed the gospel, if you've never had faith and repentance, man, God wants you. He's calling you. He's saying, hey, believe. Believe. Call on me. Trust me. Follow me. I want to change your life. He came to earth to seek and to save those who were lost. That's what Jesus' own words. He came to earth to seek and to save those who were lost. I encourage you, church today, let's heed Paul's warning. Let's heed Paul's warning. And let's be a church that this truth governs and, 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 and we make every decision, right? This is our unity. This is our playbook, right? This is our, our plan, our five-year plan, our 10-year plan, whatever. This is it, Jesus, the gospel, right? And that together, this is what draws us together and brings us together. This is how we live and work and play and do everything that we do. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity for your word. We thank you that your word still rings true. I know that I was rather long today, but God, I pray that um, something that I said, that the Holy Spirit would take that and that it would plant into hearts. God, I thank you that you are sufficient. There's so many things that I don't understand about this life. Um, God, there's so many things that I don't have right. But Lord, you are sufficient. You have all the answers and I can trust you. And God, I pray that everyone in here would be able to trust you as well. I'm going to do something a little bit different today, um, just a tad bit different. I want everyone to just sit in their seat, keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed. I want to pray for our congregation, um, specifically as the Holy Spirit works in hearts of everyone that's listening. First, this is, I kind of want you to listen. I'm going to ask you to do something. Um, if you're in this room, Maybe you're a first-time guest with us here today. 
Again, we don't normally do this, but maybe your first time guest with us today and you've never heard the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for you. Maybe that's never been presented to you. Maybe you've never had the opportunity to, to hear that and to respond to that. I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to do something. If, if God is stirring your heart, if he's working in your heart, you say, I've never, I, I've never made a d- decision to follow Jesus. I've never responded to his call in my life. Jonathan, would you just pray for me? Could you just do this for me? Could you just slip up your hand so that I could pray for you? If there's anyone like that in, that, in this room, amen. I just want to pray for you. I just want to know where you're at so that I can pray for you. And you can slip your hand back down. If there's anyone like that in this room. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a while and you say, man, I, I, I'm depending on other things. I'm not looking at Jesus as my sufficiency. Maybe I'm allowing the culture to speak into what I'm, how I'm living my life. Jonathan, would you just pray for me? I just want to pray for you. If you want to just raise your hand real quick so I can pray for you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for that honesty. Father, I thank you for those that are responding to your word. God, I thank you for uh, the ones that are in here that don't know you, God, and you've brought them here for a specific reason, and God, you want to have a relationship with them. Holy Spirit, would you continue to reveal yourself through Jesus about what you want for their life, the relationship that you want for them. God, I pray that you would give them faith. God, I pray that you would regenerate their heart, and God, that they would trust and follow you. And God, for the believers, the, the, the followers in here that want to um, not depend on the culture or their upbringing or the things that they've brought into the church, maybe traditions or whatever it is, God, that they're putting it in front of depending on you. God, I ask that today that they would be able to trust you, that you'd give them boldness and courage and grace to submit to you, Father, and just to, 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 to hold tight onto you. At the end of the service, we're going to have a couple people up in the front um, praying praying for you. If you want to explore what it looks like to follow Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus, that's the perfect opportunity. You can go up to them and say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. If you're someone in that room, if you're someone in the room that raised your hand and you say, man, I want to follow Jesus, I want to, I want to, they'll walk through that with you and what that looks like and how, and, and how to um, become a follower and, and really, really commit to, to Jesus. If you need prayer for anything, some of you raise your hand that are already followers and you want to, you know, uh, depend on Jesus more. They'll pray for you as well. God, I thank you again for this time, Father. I pray that we would uh, take communion together, that we would celebrate what you have done. In Christ's name, we pray all these things. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCityChurch.com. Go and be the church. Thank you.